I have a personal rule that if I keep complaining about something repeatedly, I have two options, do something about it or let it go. I'm Kelly Hoey, host of Broad Mike. I speak with the most accomplished entrepreneurs, investors, and thought leaders about the issues that matter in building a business. You will get the inspiration as well as the picks and shovels you need to become a better entrepreneur. Be inspired, take action, think broad. Today in the Broad Mike studio, I have Tina Roth-Eisenberg, a New York-based, Swiss-born and raised graphic designer. Over the past nine years, she has started numerous side projects that have organically turned into businesses. A collaborative co-working space called Friends, a global monthly lecture series called Creative Mornings, a simple to-do app called To-Do, which is my favorite, and Tatly, a designer temporary tattoo shop. Today I'm going to talk with Tina about how Tina became a serial creative entrepreneur, how having kids was the start of her entrepreneurial journey, and how her, her number one rule, invest in what you love, has served her well. Welcome, Tina. Thank you so much for having me. So let's start way back. What factors do you think influenced you? Anything in your childhood or your imagination there in the Swiss Hills? Anything that kind of influenced you to become an entrepreneur? Uh, oh yeah, so many. Well, first of all, just imagine I grew up in a 3,000 people town in the rolling green hills with the Alps in the background in Switzerland with cows. Just like where we are now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so very serene, very beautiful, lots of fresh air. But um, I think what I didn't realize as a kid, but now as a mother that runs two, three, four businesses, um, what I didn't realize is that how my parents who were entrepreneurs in influenced me. So every lunch conversation, every dinner conversation, of course there were some entrepreneurial conversations sprinkled in there. And then you just listen to as a kid, right? You sort of just take it in. Or seeing my dad after dinner going back into his office and loving what he did and work and building a business and seeing the joy that he had in building these startups that he did at the time. Um, or seeing my mom leaving every morning at seven o'clock in the morning. She, she, um, she ran a really high-end, very big um, uh, clothing store. Like we're talking three stories, 30 employees, and every morning at seven she left. She was a heart worker. She loved, she was, she got so, so much fulfillment out of her work. So, and so did my dad. And as a kid, that was just my reality. That's just what it is. But as you get older and you, you know, you start, you know, working in, in different work environments and you realize there's a lot of really miserable people out there that don't <laughs> like what they do. And sort of all of a sudden this like normal, I realized was not normal. Right, and so I'm incredibly grateful that my parents sort of just influenced me organically by their modeling behavior. Behavior that you know you can run your own business and you can love it, and and, and I think that's kind of what rubbed off on me. That's that's such a great story, and and I'm thinking of um, Sir Richard Branson, who someone asked him, you know, what it was that thought, you know, what what was it in his life that made him such a great entrepreneur. And his answer was, I came from a loving family. A wow. uh, lot of men in the room at the World Business Forum were a little upset with that answer. <laughs> they, were, they, were, they, were, they were in suits, they wanted like something tangible to touch on, and mom was not the answer. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I need to counter this though, because my sister was just visiting, she's three years older, and 
I had this very deep conversation with her on a subway platform where actually she would counter this and saying, that's exactly why I didn't become an entrepreneur. She went the complete opposite. To her, the experience of growing up with entrepreneurial parents was so different. Like I actually remember, I don't, I don't, of course it was hard and there were moments where my, my parents were very distracted because of it, but I, maybe I was too young, but I don't remember those hardship moments as something I would never want. My sister did. I mean, she's like, never will I ever start my own company, which is so fascinating. So it's probably just a type, you know, right. that just repels on me. I'm just, you know, whatever. But yeah. to her, that must have sunk, I must have sunk in so deeply that she's like, she would never ever consider running her company. That's, that's amazing, that's amazing. So you considered Tatley, Tada, and your blog and Creative Mornings to be side projects at one point. Yeah. And what, what was the, when did you know it was the right time that, to flip them from the side project? Uh, well, so the blog, which was basically the catalyst for all of it. So in 2005, uh, I just kept finding things on the web that I wanted to, that I kept emailing to friends and they were like, oh, come on, stop emailing me this stuff. And, <laughs> and so I realized, all right, I need to have an outlet where I can collect this. And you gotta understand, this was before Pinterest and Tumblr and all of these uh, tools were around that made it easy to collect your stuff online. And so the next be best thing was just, I pulled up TypePad and I was like, I need a URL. And I was like, they need a name, Swissmas, that's what they call me. And, and it was born and, and it was literally just an archive for myself. And then all of a sudden, I realized, I started uh, looking at the stats. I was like, oh, there's a lot of people tuning in. And then all of a sudden, I was offered money for, you know, uh, I was invited to be on the DEC, Kudal DEC network, which was really prestigious, still is. And I was like, ooh, I should take this seriously. These things always were like out of it, just a labor of love, something I love doing. And then the universe would send me kind of like, you can make money with this <laughs> in a tasteful way, right? So that's, that, that, those were always those moments like, oh, so, I just so, want to do this. It would be handy for me to win, and I can yeah. stop annoying my friends, but all of a sudden it's a business. So if I just want to bust a myth that you all think that I'm just really smart about all these things, <laughs> they really just always fell in my lap. I, I, I really want to say that oftentimes, I've, all the things I've kind of started, same with Creative Mornings, the same with To Do, like they all, I, I usually give away, I always give everything. That's my main mode is, this is fun. I'll give it to you for free. Um, it still is. And I also believe that the, the generosity model actually pays off in some weird way. Um, like the, the gen being generous in, in time, attention, or just whatever it is, has always for me paid off in the end. And it has always organically then manifested, and not always just money, I also just by connections or opportunities that then open up. So let's jump into these businesses. Mm -hmm. um, what was the origin? I know the I know the answer to this question, but I want you to tell everybody else. What was the uh, origin of Creative Mornings? So Creative Mornings um, came out of uh, two ideas. So basically, I was very fortunate because of the popularity of my blog that I would be invited to a lot of conferences, either to speak or to attend and cover it. And I would oftentimes get these emails afterwards of like, you know, junior designers or other people in the industry that say, you know, you're so lucky you get to see all of my heroes speak at all these conferences. And conferences are expensive, right? Um, they're time consuming, they happen once a, uh, once a year. And I was like, man, there's so many people that want to go to these, that want to connect. I mean, the reason why we get together like here is like we want to connect. And I was like, there needs to be something simpler and more accessible for everyone. Again, the giving away free thing, you're gonna see it's a theme here. Um, and 
And at the same time, I just started a co-working space. Before co-working spaces were a thing, I didn't even know I did that. I just created a room with, with other people that um, did entrepreneurial, creative things, and I, I, I was inspired by it, so I just read. I wanted to be inspired, basically, and I just rented out desks. So and I realized, wait, I have a space, so I can, I can make this happen. So once a month, I opened my doors, I invited people to come in, to, just a creative industry, to come for coffee and for a talk, and then that just took off. For two years, I rented by myself here in New York, and it was basically sort of what we're experiencing here right now. And every month, the group would get a little bigger. Started out with 30 people, and then it was 50, and then it was 70, and now we fill a 500-people room in like under a minute when sign-up opens up. I know, I've been on the end of on that. a minute and a half. But you know, you have a connection. <laughs> <laughs> I've got my secret connection. Um, but now also we have grown uh, uh, into a 145 chapter organization in over 55 countries. And these, so over 15,000 people get together every month and it's completely free in every city. And but but uh, to, to get the, the emails and sign up, you've got to go and to creative mornings and yeah, become you go a to member. creativemornings.com, you look for your city. If there is no city where you are, you should apply and start a chapter. You can become the ambassador. Just go to the bottom of the website. It says start a chapter. We grow by about five to six cities a month, which is really mind-blowing. I must say I had a kind of an emotional moment last month when I uh, saw the photos roll in. So every, every chapter around the world puts on these events on a volunteer basis, and then they upload the talks and photos of the events. So I always have my, what I call my Oprah Pharrell moment. I don't know if any of you have seen this, where Oprah made Pharrell cry when she showed him all of the remixes of Happy. And, and I kind of have that moment when I see the photos roll in from around the world from these events. And, um, and I kind of really emotional when I saw photos from the first event in Jerusalem roll in. And I was like, wow, I created something that is now taking a life on its own, that gets people together, that creates a safe space for the creative community to meet, and is completely accessible in a place like Jerusalem. And that, that really moved me. And Creative Mornings is way beyond me at this point. I mean, this is like a group of 1,500 volunteers around the world uh, that just keep growing this. I, we couldn't even turn it off anymore, which is the most beautiful thought ever. Like, if we would stop HQs here in Brooklyn, we're a team of five, like, if we would just say, we stop doing what we're doing, this, this thing would continue. And there's nothing more beautiful than knowing that you've started something that has a, has a pulse on its own. Well, I mean, let's stop and talk about that just for a second. You know, let me go, go off, you know, kind of script on some of these questions. Okay, you're a headquarters of five. Mm -hmm. So how are you scaling that business? We should be 10. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're women, we're efficient, we yeah, multitask. Okay, yeah, it I get that. is five women, uh, not kidding. You know how some people always tell me I have such a hard time hiring women? I was like, I can't hire men for the life of me. <laughs> Show me a good qualified man. I'd be really interested to find one. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, we're, we're, to be honest, we're highly understaffed. But I also want to keep it scrappy. I believe in, in scrappy. I believe in I do better work when I have to be somewhat scrappy. And the nature of Creative Mornings will always be, a, a, it will always be an organization that is somewhat has to improvise and has to figure things out on low budget. I feel like, because that's where the beauty lies. Yeah. I never want to have an overhead of 150 people and turn into this bit media organization or whatever, you know. I mean, I don't aspire to become TED. I, TED is great, but I don't want to be that. I want to be that grassroots, scrappy organization. 
that can... Well, I always love, you know, when people always say, you know, in terms of creativity or getting things done, they say, think outside the box. I'm like, no, 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 no. Get in that box. Get in those limitations and those restraints and now get really creative because you don't have the time, you don't have the budget, you don't have endless... You know, what happens if you all... When when you have those limitations, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, you don't have all the resources in the world. What do you do? Okay, how can I make this happen? Um, Let's go to... uh, one of my next favorite of your businesses. How did Tatley come about? So Tatley was a joke. Um, <laughs> the joke's on me now. Um, so uh, we're turning five this July. So five and a half years ago, my daughter at the time, uh, five, six-ish, uh, came home from a birthday party and uh, opened her goodie bag and yet again brought out these really hideous temporary tattoos and they were such an insult to my Swiss aesthetic. And she, <laughs> she asked me to put, put them on her and I have you know, this rule, I have a personal rule that if I keep complaining about something repeatedly, I have two options, do something about it or let it go. Like complaining just is nothing for me. And I sat there and I was like, this is it. I have complained in my head about temporary t- the status of temporary tattoos in this world so many times. <laughs> and then I was like, Tina, you're so silly. You're a graphic designer. You do web design for a living. You have an incredible network of artists and illustrator friends. Come on. So I started researching that night. I could barely go to bed. And I was like, and I emailed my friends, um, say, hey, what would you say if I made a a cool small website and we sold some cool temporary tattoos. You know, you know, skin, new canvas, do you want to make something? The next day I had designs in my inbox. So fast forward two months later, uh, we launched tatley.com and uh, with 16 designs by some of my dear friends, designer, well-respected illustrators and artists. And then, you know, lucky me, I have the blog. So I launched it and it's the first time I, blo- I blocked something that was my product, right? I didn't think about it that, okay, here you are, Tina, for years you've been celebrating and shining the light on other people's stuff. And I, I, I've sort of become known for trying to elevate people that just launched something. That, that was always my biggest kick. Like when I could get an email saying, you blocked about my whatever, you know, cupcakes and now I was able to quit my job and I started a bakery and best thing ever, right? So, so I didn't realize all of that karma that I have built up over the years when I said, hey, here, I started Tatley, fun. And I thought I'm gonna send maybe 50 orders a month. You know, it's just gonna be that little thing. Little hobby, little side project. Yeah, so the first day we had over a hundred orders. We were like, oh, we were stood next to the printer. And we were like, oh, look at that. So I the orders kept coming out. <laughs> we were kind of in a state of shock. But the moment where it really hit me was the next day when um, my phone rings and there was this very charming buyer from the Tate Modern Shop in London. And, and he asked me for a wholesale catalog. I was so cool on that phone call. I was like, absolutely no problem. I took his info and I hung up and I literally screamed and looked at my studio mate, Cameron. I said, like, Cameron, what is a wholesale catalog? <laughs> And then I called up my friend who had the product company. She goes, Tina, let me, let me sit you down. And then we made packaging and we made a, a wholesale catalog. And, and now we're in over a thousand stores around the world. We, we ship globally. We, we're a team of 16 that ship everything out of Barham Hill, Brooklyn. And it's, it's amazing. I want to say, and, and that company really showed you too, as we refer to it affectionately, the Swiss Miss effect of, you know, yeah, websites I crashing. Yeah, myself, which is kind of nice, yeah. <laughs> Crash your own website, there's your karma. <laughs> Crashing everyone else's when you blog about, yeah, about was, them on your, uh, you know. That was really, that was quite a moment. And I loved the internet so much that I had to buy yayinternet.com. And there's, a, there's, a, <laughs> there's an animated GIF that my friend Jen Wasari made with cats and cosmos, and it says yay on it. 
Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's all it does. <laughs> the best. That is absolutely, um, absolutely the best. Um, I want before I um, talk about Tudor, um because as I say, it is. You are well, my biggest fan of Todo. You know that. It's right? the world's greatest to-do list. It's it's seriously it does what it's supposed to do, and we will talk about the flying cat, which really makes my day. Um, <laughs> but let's talk about. You know, let's go back to this with um, your companies and the timing of the starting of them. You're doing this when you're a mom and, or becoming a mom. Yeah, I had, I had this weird thing happen to me that um, as I got more and more pregnant with my daughter, who's now just, just turned 10, I sort of took inventory of my life. Um, I, I went deep. I was like, wait a second, Tina, you're becoming a mom. I mean, it's such a milestone. It's such a like grown-up moment. And I was like, Tina, you gotta stop just you know fooling yourselves. There's all these dreams you had that you have not even started tackling. And one of them was that I always knew that I wanna have my own company at some point, but I, in some weird way, I think I was waiting for this angelic moment where this angelic choir comes down and says, Tina, start your company now. And, and then I realized that is just, that's never gonna happen. And, and then I, I thought, you know, why not now? So I literally started my own design studio when my daughter was born which was a bit nuts. And, but the universe was sending me signals that my first client was the MoMA right away. And I was like, okay, okay. I think they're, they're nudging me to do this. So I started my own design studio when my daughter was born. And, and she was really the catalyst. I mean, she was like, you know what? I gotta be a role model to this little kid now. I mean, I gotta live my dreams. I gotta, I gotta be bold. And then funny enough, three years later when, um, when I got pregnant with my son, I was kind of afraid it would happen again, and the whole inventory thing. <laughs> World's greatest take birth control. Yeah. I may start another company. company yeah. <laughs> For sure, I will not have another kid. Um, but uh, so the same thing happened again, and I, I sort of took inventory of my life at that point then with uh, running my design studio, which was really busy. I had more clients that I could actually handle, and I realized I really didn't want to have clients. I was like, wait, this is not what I want. And I looked at what I actually wanted to do and it was these little side projects that I've started already. And I was like, you know what? I'm lucky enough that my blog makes some passive income that I can allow myself, and granted this was with the, the blessing of my husband, because I mean, this is like, you know, to the joint conversation, that he said, you know what? I want to do a one year sabbatical. I want to see what happens if I can free up some brain space and just time to work on my own things. And that's really when, when I did that sabbatical, like instantly, uh, Tudor happened, and, 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 and Tatley came shortly after, and, like th and Creative Morning started blooming. I mean, it was, it was amazing what happens when you just give yourself a moment to allow these things that are probably already blooming in your life, or they're, they're just ready for you to, or they're waiting for you to give them some love. Right. So pour some love onto it, and that's really when it all took off. Oh, let's go back. I want to quickly go back to Creative Mornings for a second, but also that one too, in terms of nurturing it until turning it into, uh, I want to say, not that it wasn't powerful before, but this powerful community that a lot of people want to get in front of. You didn't take sponsors for the first two years, correct? Uh, what I had for the first two years, no, I just had, um, uh, for example, FreshBooks was the first company who paid for the first breakfast. So I had local sponsors that just paid for breakfast. But I, globally, I haven't taken any sponsorship money, global partnership money, uh, until like five years in, four years, five years in, yeah. What was, why? I was just afraid I'm gonna break it. 
And also, no, and also the other thing was that I knew that I have high aspirations and kind of flipped the sponsorship model on its head a bit. I feel like it need it really needs a reinvention and it needs it needs a refreshing of not just having banners like everywhere around the stage and stuff. There there needs to be something, you know. So I had that aspiration and I knew I can only I only have pull if we have become such an undeniable force that they want us so bad that they're gonna obey or go by my rules, or at least a little bit. So I knew, because we, we got so many companies, you know, the brands love everything grassroots, so we got inquiries on a daily basis, but it was like, no, we're not there yet. We're not big enough yet that we can say how we want it to be done. And sure enough, when we did start the global partnerships, brands were so crazy about us that we could be really, really picky on who we want to work with and what that partnership is going to look like. Which is, I would say, a powerful lesson for anyone who is looking for outside money to make their business or venture grow is wait till that right time where you get to call the shots versus, mm -hmm. you know, if you had said, oh no, I, I can't do this unless I have someone, you know, mm -hmm. come in and write a check. Um, and I'm not saying that's the only way you can do it. I'm just, I am just very, very protective of the things I build. So I'm probably, and I'm also Swiss, so I'm probably overly cautious at times with things like this. <laughs> You know. You're talking to a Canadian, so yeah. you know you, you you got that going on. Uh, you talked about your your team being, uh, I want to say, with uh, Creative Mornings, all women. What do, what do you look for in a team? It's not always been all women. It just currently is. Um, what I look for in a team? Oh, I have one hiring rule, and so the the thing, the nature of how I run my companies is very unusual, I think, in that because I I bounce around so much that I actually I will never breathe down your neck. I will never overanalyze what you're doing because I just trust you and the only way that works is that I will only hire people that have like a side project men mentality when I interview you we're probably gonna go for a walk and I'm gonna say so tell me what excites you what are the things you're crazy about what lights you up right and then I want to hear someone spew all of these side projects they've started or projects they're working on or I just need to see that fire and this like I had an idea and I got and I executed on it and you know and if I don't see that I will not hire you because you're not going to thrive with me because we're going to throw things on at you and then you just got to be like entrepreneurial enough or just driven enough to just catch them and run with it and that that just asks for a real a certain type of uh, personality do you think culture can be a competitive advantage like company, like company culture is a competitive oh, advantage. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely. You mean in hiring? In hiring and scaling and yeah, totally. Yes, I mean, I actually think that's the only reason why I get to hire the cool people I get to hire, because they hear about the the freedom they get. The I also I I have zero tolerance for drama. Like if you're a dramatic person. I will kick you out myself. Well, Broadway, so you know, we just go the, we're at LMHQ right yeah. now. We're on Broadway, you just go further up Broadway if you need drama. Yeah, yeah. okay, got it. So <laughs> it's, just, it's just like the, I, I'm very careful in who I bring into my teams because to me, the people I spend my days with, the people I work with, that, that is the most important intentional community of my, of my life. I mean, besides my family, of course, but just, just to tell you, like yesterday, one of my most amazing uh, uh, employees of Creative Mornings resigned 
and I just sat there and I cried and she cried and and I was like, oh my God, I'm gonna start crying again. And this is so hard. I mean, to me, I get so ridiculously attached to the people I work with. I mean, they're they're more than employees. They're they're they they have such an impact of my life. And no, that's I'm gonna start crying again. Anyway, like, so let's and talk I, about I just, the glitter drawer then. Okay, let's go happy. Um, no, it's not glitter. Glitter is the herpes of the crafts world. I don't like. <laughs> I don't like glitter. Um, confetti. Confetti. Right. Okay, let's go happy. Yeah. So, um, I, I be- one of the things I believe in in running my businesses is that you need to have fun. Uh, you, you there needs to you need to sprinkle you know a possibility of the smile of a smile in everything you do all day long, and and that manifests in different ways in, in how I run my companies. And one of them, for example, in Creative Mornings, when you like a talk, it rains hearts makes me so happy or you can uh, if you go on a creative mornings community you can filter by single um, that got no reaction out of here that was amazing there's no single people in here yeah they have never no, no, you know you, you know go and sign up for, for uh, creative mornings and it will ask if you were single yeah and it's like heck you never know I you know you can't get a date on you know Whatever, hello Cupid. You know, maybe get a date on Creative Mornings. I mean, like what the heck? people. Or then the confetti drawer is my all-time favorite thing. We have this big drawer at Tatley that is filled to the brim with confetti. And so um, when you, first of all, you need emergency confetti. You never know. And and then also when you check out on um, on Tatley.com, you you can check the confetti checkbox, and then we'll fill your package with confetti. But we also had to learn that we also need to give people a warning because it might piss them off. So there's a, at, uh, like a warning, a confetti warning sticker outside on the package. I, 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 you gotta be respectful. You gotta do, and I, I got I got a good confetti story for you later that I think you'll really appreciate. Okay, let's go to my favorite. To do my my Virgo. I like a checklist. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about how uh, how that. How that came about? Let's talk about Cameron. Let's talk about sitting yeah. at that table. Okay, so uh, this is in 2010. Uh, I was just getting up to sit down in my co-working space and have lunch, and I walk by my Cameron's de- my friend uh, studio mate's Cameron's desk, and I see him use a to-do app that I a to-do app that I really didn't like. So I said, "Hey, Cameron, let's sit down. Let's talk over. Let's talk about why you like this app." So we sat down and did it no, offend? I, did it offend your Swiss aesthetics? No, 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 yeah. No, I just wanted to know, like maybe I just didn't use it right. You know, sometimes you you, you have to work right. with something for a little while. So we sat down and the lunch conversation came on to do apps and 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 then I got really passionate. I kind of started ranting. I was like. The ideal to-do app would look like this for me. I need it in the browser. It needs to be a week. It needs to be as close to paper as possible because I like to check things off. And, and then, but the thing is about paper lists is that you have to write them again the next day. That's just annoying. If it only rolled over it. So I'm like, bleh. And he just looks at me and goes, Tina, just design it. I'll build it for you. And even though Get I've her been, off the ledge. <laughs> and even though I've been, this, this was one of these key moments where like ha, being in this co-working space has changed everything for me. Even though I built apps and interfa- interfaces for other people, it didn't, I didn't connect it that I could make it for myself, right? So I sat down the next day, I designed it for three hours, I gave it to Cameron and his uh, friend uh, Evan to develop. Sure enough, 48 hours working prototype and we started using it in our space. And then everyone that came in asked, hey, hey, what is that? That's cool, can I have it too? So we had to hard code people in. And as well, it was just built this for us and our friends. 
And eventually I said, come on, Cameron, let's just make a really silly, simple marketing site where people can just sign up on their own so we don't constantly have to do these like hard coding users in. And then in December of 2010, like Cameron made a silly, slightly offensive video now in hindsight, but it was just a, a thing we gave away for free, right? It was just, hey friends, we admit this. Like it's a to-do app, it's simple, it's like paper. Here you go, use it. So we launched it in 2010, I blogged about it again. And then about three hours later, I look at Cameron and Cameron is green in his face. And I say, Cameron, what's going on? And I see him look at some stats stuff and he goes, we have signups by the thousands. I don't know what's going on. And then I started digging. Seth Godin wrote about it. Like all of the big, big people picked it up right away. But the best part was, and this is the kicker, Fast Company wrote about it two hours after we launched and called it the best to-do app of 2010. <laughs> it was December, you know? <laughs> and then we were like, oh, oops, that's not what we intended. And then the funny thing was that we got picked up by the church. No, I wanted you to tell the nun story. Oh, it's the best thing ever. It's so cute. So we had priests and nuns. Apparently, they like lists. It's cool. I, got, I, like, I like lists, too. So, but my well, favorite, when you show up at the pearly gates, you know, St. Peter's got a list. So, you know, you got to get through it in this lifetime. Okay. So, but the, the cutest thing was, so again, we made this for ourselves and for our friends. So our uh, alert messages, they were all kind of obscure and very odd humor. So one of them was, for example, if you didn't have internet connection, this alert came up and said, danger, danger, high voltage, uh, can't sink, like in really small. And this nun emails us and she goes, dear team today, um, I just got this iPod touch and, or whatever it was at the time, and I really care about it. And I, I'm really worried about this. Does it, does it, does this message, is it, is it breaking my iPod touch? Like, like. <laughs> And we were like, Cameron, we need to change the message. <laughs> so, so then fast forward two years later, we realized like, it, it costs a lot of money to maintaining an app and you know, the service. So we had to switch from the, paid from the free model to, to paid, which uh, it hurt us because we were hoping we could keep it free forever. But now we just make enough so we can maintain it. And it's not really a business. It's just what we love to do. And by the way, you're going to be so happy. Is there a new we're, flying cat? Is there a new flying cat? No, but we're coming out with an... The iPhone app right now, as it is, I'm not that proud of. It's the web app is where it's at. Like the, and the key, by the way, of our to-do to -do app is that you make it your browser window. So every time you open up your browser window, it hits you over the head when you need to get done instead of browsing. Mm. You know? <laughs> but we're coming out with a new app, iPhone app, and it is so good. I can show it to you afterwards. I have it on my phone. It's so yes. good. Okay, so I want to explain to everybody. When you check something off on your to-do list, yeah there's a flying cat that goes across the screen. You can, you can also turn it off. <laughs> no, 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 it's, it's like, you don't want to turn that off because there's something satisfying about crossing something off a list and then double satisfying when you get like rainbow flying cat across the screen. Yeah. I'm so glad you appreciate this. I know, and I do like and the you humor. Know, I want to talk about something that I, I love so much that Cameron came up with uh, when we had to go to the paid model. We really thought about how are we gonna phrase this, and, and, and he's so brilliant. So uh, when you sign up, for, you can test it for free for 30 days, but then when you have to sign up, there's two modes. There's the skeptic mode and the believer mode. The skeptic goes monthly and the believer goes yearly. And I can't even tell you how many times, like after I speak at a conference or something, people come up to me and go, I'm a believer. And <laughs> 
you know, when people look like, what is she talking about, right? But I'm like, I got you. Awesome. <laughs> you I'm like the monkeys, like that song play when people check off, you know, on, on I'm a believer and pay for to do. That just shows how old I am. Uh, I, I'm not following you. I, oh, no, no, I, you know what? I'm going to send you the YouTube video of the monkeys. You'll know what I'm talking okay, about. Okay. Um, so what else do I want to talk to you about? Uh, OK, we've talked about going to the paid app model, because I think it is one of those interesting things. You need to decide at some point. How, you know, The internet is great, but you know, you got to pay for some of these things. Um, how have you sort of figured out who your customer base is? With, with, has there been a pattern or logic that you've followed and figured out with each of your businesses, who, who the actual customer is, or is it just I should probably be way more analytical than I am about this. Yeah. You just uh, watch I, and see what it, who it is? Yeah. I mean, we, we just had, for example, yesterday with Tatley, because we never had really a deep dive into our user base is, but yesterday we, we kind of had a product set, we had a product meeting where we talked about upcoming designs and stuff. And then we kind of really looked at our best sellers and we were like, guys, because we, we, I started this sort of for my designy, nerdy crowd. And we still have those designs. But when we looked at all the best sellers, it was like floral, gold bracelets, butterflies. I was like, ah, we just have to really embrace the fact that the girly lady customer is probably <laughs> yeah, our main customer. Yeah, I'm just. I'm also kind of imagining you pitching a VC with Tada and explaining to them that you know your market segment was the church. Yeah, that's kind of cool though. Come on. <laughs> no, I think it's totally cool, but it's like it's so funny to think about it. We're going after nuns. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean Tada is definitely the getting things done list lovers, and that's. I mean, I don't think you can say that's a woman or a man or young or old. That's just. If you're a list maker, you're a list maker. Right. Right, and, and, and I think it's also too, when you think about all these productivity tools, what do you want it to do? And for me, you know, a productivity tool that is trying to be like a Swiss army knife, no offense, I don't want a Swiss army knife. I want it to do one thing. Mm -hmm. I want my to-do list to do one thing and have a flying cat. Um, <laughs> you've talked in the past about the importance of labors of love. Mm -hmm. Why is that important? Um, well, I, I think, first of all, I've, a lot of the successes of the things I've started, I think, come out of the fact that um, I really started them because they're either fixing a problem or, you know, like, or, or just a need, something I want to see in the world. So they come from like this pure kind of passionate place, right? And then, as I always said, the money part always came later. It was never the goal to make money, right? So when you start something as a labor of love, and I really believe in this, people latch onto it and feel it in a different way. I'm a real feeler. I'm all about energy. And I think that changes the nature. When I, if I would have started Tatley right from the beginning, and like, this is all about making money, this is gonna, you know, I would have made decisions on a different place. I would have made them from a different place and they would have felt differently. It's like creative mornings. Like there's nothing better than when people you see them come for the first time, they're really skeptical, they're kind of they're like having their guard up, and then they send us these emails in the follow-up after the event, and they go like, okay, admit, I was waiting to be pitched, and to be sold, and to be, you know, and there was nothing. Like, people, and then everything shifts. Like, when they realize, oh my God, people love what they do here, and they're pouring their, an extra layer on lava on top of it. Um, and, and I feel like in today's day and age, there's not enough of that. Because we're, we're constantly, I don't know about you guys, but I'm constantly kind of like, okay, what are they going to pitch me? Oh, they want my email address again. Oh my God, and I'm going to get, no. Like, if you take that off and you actually win 
that person's trust, they will get so loyal with your brand. They will become so loyal, they will follow you over a cliff, right? And I think that's what the business world needs more of. I will follow the flying cat over <laughs> the cliff for you. I can say that teasing. No, I, absolutely, absolutely. As a creative person, how do you deal with roadblocks? What's your suggestions on how to work through those, I want to say those roadblocks we all hit in our imagination and our thought process and our innovation? Just flip them. You just got to flip them. I mean, as we said, I'm a graphic designer by trade. Graphic designers love constraints. And in, in some way, a roadblock is nothing else but a constraint. And then you just got to, this is one of the things I say all the time at Tatley and at Creative Mornings, when we hit a roadblock, when there's a problem, a seeming, just to give you an example, like, we, so we say flip it. We got to flip this thing. And with that, I mean, turn it on its head and turn it into something good. So just to give you an example, Creative Mornings, uh, they used to, the, the beauty was that we were able like, to, like this in this group of like, what are 50, 60, 70 people, to go to companies that would invite us in. And people loved seeing other pe uh, people's faces. And I loved the intimacy of the small events. We've, we've grown to 400, 500 people events. And intimacy has gone and we're in just big theaters. And I was mourning that a bit. I felt like, oh man, I wish this, the nimbleness and, uh, you know, was still there. At the same time, our waiting list grew to like 800 every single time. And I said, there's 800 people that still want to go get together. Like, this is what it's all about. So I said, why don't we combine these two things and, and make it into something good? So that's where we, we sat down and said, how can we turn this on its head and make it good? So what we did is that for all the people that are on the wait list that don't get in on that Monday when sign up starts, on Tuesday you get an email that tells you about field trips. So we started reaching out to companies that love us, that actually want to host something small, because pe people always come to us and say, how can we help? So the, and we said, you know what, you didn't, get on, you didn't get in on the main event, but guess what? You can go to these 12 little workshops that are put on by IDEO and Shutterstock and an intellectual property lawyer and you can learn how to make ice cream. And so it's the community now stepping up, uh, companies, individuals that can teach something or host something. And, and now the wait, being on the wait list is awesome. So, and that was like one of my favorite models ever or, or examples ever to we turned the bad, seemingly bad, into something good. And now people get on the wait list on purpose because they won't want to be in the big events so they can get on the more intimate events. Oh, get me on the wait list. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the field trips are great. I've gone on the field trips. They're fantastic. Um, and I know there's been a few times when you sort of felt like, I want to go to the field trip, <laughs> but I can't because it happens at the same time as the main event. So I kind of got to You pretend you're somewhere event. else and not tweet about <laughs> it. Um, we've talked about one of your rules for how you live your work in your life and that's like don't complain or you know change something don't com continue to complain about it can you share one of your other rules for work that you're um that you live by um one of my uh, big ones is uh if you say yes you gotta really say yes so with that i mean and we talk about this with my team a lot um when i say yes to something I'm willing to go all the way, and I am all in, and I will not underdeliver. And if you really think about that, about that in your head, like sometimes when we take something on, um, and we're like, "All right, are we ready for this partnership?" or whatever it is, am I ready to really rock this and go all the way and give 120 percent? Am I that? In, am I really believing in this? Um, because I feel like there's too many people saying yes and then not going all the way. And there's nothing worse than a half-ass half yes. 
Yeah, so it's like, like a, it's sort of like a lukewarm yes when, in saying yes rather than being brave enough to say no, I can't do this, or no is not the right time. Or just know the commitment, and then you have to figure shit out. You have to make it happen. And that rule has helped us sometimes reframe and really test our commitment to whatever we're just about to say yes to. And has actually prevented us, like, there was one moment, I'm not proud of it that I went this far to actually almost get to an agreement of a partnership, to then realize, and I have sleepless night the night before, I was like, I am not 100% sure I'm gonna give it all. You know, I was kind of like, and I had like a come to Jesus moment with myself, and I mean, I'd rather embarrass myself in that moment than like, you know, a year in and saying, you know what, I'm really not feeling this. I kind of had a I kind of had a gut feeling about it right before I signed the agreement. So when you, if you say yes, you say, you really have to mean it and go all the way. Excellent advice. I think we've already touched on this one. Are you starting anything new we should know about? No, it's like with shoes. If a new pair comes in, one needs to go. So. <laughs> well, maybe in your world, not in mine. I know, not in your world. <laughs> I know that, Kelly. I know that. If you follow on Instagram, there's lots of shoes on there. Oh, I want to really, say, really great. Yeah. Your shoe game. Shout I, out to your shoe game, man. Thank you. I'm going to say, if I started businesses in relation to my shoes, I would be such a mogul. Oh, my God. Um, has mentorship been an important factor in your success? No, I wish that concept of mentorship would have been something that I would have grasped. I really, that's something I want to teach my kids and often talk to um, my younger employees about is, I don't know why, I, I think in Switzerland I didn't grow up with this mentality of like you could sort of have a mentor, but uh, I think it would have helped me a lot if I could have identified someone that I really admired and looked up to and looked up to their values and the way they lived their life and maybe just walked up to them and said like, would you mind to maybe just, you know, here and there sit down with me? Um, and I feel like I'm kind of doing that with some some people in my life. It's never officially been a mentorship, but I kind of feel like I'm trying to be that person that can help them nudge along in their career. So I would say to any young person out there, if like look for that person that you can even, I mean, it's a very flattering thing if somebody comes up to you and says like, hey, I would love for you to sort of mentor me a little bit. Yeah, I feel like I missed out on that one. Yeah, and some of it is turning to people and asking for help, and I like your idea too. Like, who do you look for in terms of the values and the way they live their life and conduct their business that you're thinking, okay, they can, can, can be my North Star on some of these issues. And I also feel like the, there's a really great quote, I'm gonna butcher right now, by Kevin Spacey, where is like, where if you've been successful in your life, you, it's your obligation to send the elevator back down. Yeah. And, and I feel like we all, once we get to a certain level where we feel like, wow, we have actually have something to offer for other younger people that are just making it, it is our obligation to help them. Yeah, and I would even say sort of more broadly than that in terms of who we send the elevator back down. That, yeah, the Kevin Spacey, amazing quote on that, and he did a really terrific interview with Carolyn Gohn of uh, Lavo League, and it's videos on their website, mm -hmm. lavo.com, and it's, it's extraordinary, he was just, Mm -hmm. really feeling like when you have reached somewhere and you've been so privileged, right? That, that you know, sending the elevator back down and lifting other people up. Mm -hmm. Besides, I mean, I, you know, some people might like to be lonely at the top. I think having a big party up there would be much more fun. <laughs> all right, we're gonna get to the pay it forward questions. Okay. This is I ask all the guests on Broadrank, so uh, it's gonna be fast and dirty answers, okay. or clean answers, whatever, okay. but you don't have to justify okay. any answer. Here we go. What are your primary sources of information? 
I have a, there's so many because I have a daily folder on my bookmarks bar that has 180 websites in it that I open up daily all at once. <laughs> I want to film that just to see what that moment is like. My eyes are popping. What book are you reading? Uh, Becoming Wise by Krista Tippett. Oh, I love her. Oh. Um, do you have any rituals or habits you swear by? Coffee. <laughs> Who are three entrepreneurs or leaders you will follow or admire? That's so easy. Maggie Doing, who run, runs Blink Now in Nepal. Uh, Jane, that founded Sugru. And Celine, that founded Slow Factory. Awesome. Oh, beautiful scarf for those of you listening to the podcast. Um, what's the best advice you've ever received? Trust your gut. Are there any particular myths? that you would like to dispel? I cannot yodel. <laughs> Are you allowed to keep your Swiss citizenship? <laughs> With that now being revealed. Um, sort of like being Canadian and I don't know how to drive in the snow and I can't ski. So anyway, uh, which probably would disqualify you from Swiss yep. citizenship as well. Um, what words of advice would you give our listeners about taking risks and closing the confidence gap? Um, If you're afraid of doing something, it probably means you can learn something. So if you're afraid of it, if you're afraid of taking the risk, then sit yourself down and think about what's the worst that can happen. And just look at that, what the worst is. And then you're probably gonna realize it's not that bad, but just embrace that, just acknowledge the worst that could happen, sort of hug it a bit, and then just go do it. Name one female entrepreneur that is below the radar that we should know about. Again, it's Celine from Slow Factory. And Slow Factory is? Slow Factory is, I'm wearing, I'm religiously, religiously wearing her scarves. Um, right now I'm wearing one. Uh, Celine is from originally Beirut, Lebanon, lives here in New York. She's a really beautiful person who believes in fashion is a form of activism. Uh, so she makes these scarves with images from the Hubble telescope from NASA and prints them in this beautiful um, uh, place in Italy um, and sells them and has uh, sells them around the world and has partnered with you know big uh, global organizations like the World Wildlife Fund and, and just she believes in fashion can have an impact on, on the world and they're just beautiful and she's a beautiful human and she has she's been bootstrapping this business for the last few years and I am so blown away by how she's pulling this off. And she's a mom of two little ones. I don't know how she does it. Amazing. Yeah, you wouldn't know what it was like to be a mom of two little ones and have a company, would you? <laughs> I can say these no things. No answer. Cheek, <laughs> cheeky friend that I am. All right. Yeah. What does think broad mean to you? Uh, flipping things on its head. Um, when you're stuck and you need to think broad, just turn it upside down. Try to flip the problem on its head. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Woohoo! Thank you for listening to Broadmike. We welcome your feedback. Find us on Facebook, where you will have show notes and additional references for a deeper dive into today's topic. Subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode. Please review our podcast on iTunes, which will help other listeners discover Broadmike and grow the Broadmike community. Broadmike is produced by Christy Mirabel with editing by John Marshall Media. Our executive producer is Sarah Weinheimer. Think broad.